0: Last week, Janko started by um, just sharing with us about the importance of honoring and uh, I want to honor you for being quite on time this morning. We challenged one another a bit last week about it, so well done. And it's not about trying to impress each other. It's, it's this lifestyle that that we believe God has called us to live a lifestyle for Him. And so I want to carry on this morning looking at that very principle of honor. And um, I want to use the illustration just of what we saw recently, those of you that were aware of it, and many of you may have been able to watch it or not, but there has been this royal wedding that took place a couple of weeks ago, and, and just the interesting thing that I noticed is how the queen was honored. And I uh, uh, looked up a few, a few things of what they did to honor her, and they said there were primary, primarily five things that, that they did to honor her at the wedding, because obviously it wasn't her wedding, but still she's the queen of England, and she needs to be honored. She was the last guest to arrive before the bride came in. So everybody had to get in, and then the queen would come in. So she wouldn't be part of everybody. She would be the very last one that arrives um, before the bride came in. And um, she wore bright colors. She had this kind of green dress on. Or I can't remember exactly, but it was bright enough to notice. Because the whole idea is that people would notice and say, I saw the queen. The last thing that they want is that when the queen is there that you can't see her and say, I never saw her. What Part of the honor is that she can wear something bright, even on somebody else's wedding, so that she could be seen. Honor due to her. Um, Third thing that they did for her is that they gave her the best seat in the house. They gave her a a place to sit where there was no interference in terms of the view that she had of the bridal couple. And so nobody was allowed to sit in front of her. She had the second row seat, but nobody sat in front of her. She had an open view. She didn't sing "God Save the Queen." She doesn't have to; it'll be kind of awkward, hey, to say "God Save Me," you know. Um, but the people sang this song to her. Now, the way in which she's on it—it's kind of like strange because I don't know about any other country in the world that sings about their leader. Imagine that, eh? "God Save Zuma," "God Save," I do anyway, It's a good prayer to pray. She's no longer the leader, but anyway. Um, So another way in which she was honored. And finally, she was also honored at the reception, at at the moment where they had food to eat and everything, that when she finished eating, everybody else was supposed to finish as well and stop eating. Nobody's allowed to eat until the queen has stopped. After that, or after she's finished, nobody's allowed to carry on. So tough on you. If you haven't had your prawns yet and the queen stopped eating her prawns, that's it, buddy, you've got to stop. Great way to honor people, isn't it? Um, And so it's kind of like strange ways for us when we look at these things, but this is how people often honor each other. The reality, though, is this, and that's the world that we're living in. If you don't know the queen, there's no way you're going to honor her. You can take her to wherever in the world, um, and if she's not known by those people, and if you obviously don't come in with a whole brigade of whatever and make her presence real and announce it... And tell the people who she is and what you're supposed to do to her. If you just bring her in and, and she's just one of the people, nobody will know that she is a queen. There are parts in the world where people won't know that she's a queen. Uh-huh. You can take her to many places in the world where she wouldn't be recognized or not known that there is such a thing called the Queen of England. And so unless you know her, you won't honor her. And I believe that's the same principle that applies to honoring God. I cannot come up here and and, and tell you, listen, you've got to honor God, and you've got to live a life that's honorable towards Him, unless you know Him. Amen? It's very simple. The perspective we have of God will determine the degree of honor we have for Him. And it will determine how we behave towards Him. So your perspective of God determines your honor and your respect for Him and of Him. And so what is our responsibility as believers, therefore, is to help one another understand who God is and know Him better. So that when we see and read in the Scripture that we have to honor Him, we'll say, yeah, I will, because I know Him. I know who He is. In other words, what you think of God determines how you treat God and behave in life. Shall I say that again? What you think of God determines how you treat Him and how you behave in life. And so, we have different perspectives, perhaps, this morning, of God. Maybe we would think that God is just our friend. He's always just ready there to help me And I can just, at the flick of a finger, click of it, then God will be there to just bail me out. Because we often need bailing out, isn't it? Or we can think that God is the one, no matter how bad I've lived my life, He will always just have mercy and compassion to come and forgive, and that's true. But there's an aspect of God that we're going to look at this morning from the book of Nehemiah that we've been journeying along for the last couple of weeks that will help us understand something about this awesomeness and this greatness and this majestic God that you and I are called to honor and to respect with all that we have. And unless we have that understanding with Him, then we'll in a sense play the fool with Him. And say, God, whenever I need you, you come and help me. Otherwise, I'm okay. I don't need you. In my life, I can live like I want to live because I have my space. I have space for you when I need you. But otherwise, kind of leave me alone and I'll do my thing. It's vital for us to get to know God and who God really is. And that He's not just my mate that I just call on. And I need him, and he's got to rush to my help to come and do what I need him to do. Because times are tough, and this world is, is not an easy world to live in. We need to have a biblical understanding of who God is. In other words, we need to base our understanding on of who God is on the Word on the Bible, and not on just what we teach you here on a Sunday. Because the 40 minutes or the whatever minutes we have to show you something from Scripture is is often influenced by our understanding of who God is. And I do not know the fullness of God. So if you depend on me to help you see who God is, you're going to have a limited understanding. And imagine if it's just... Sunday, once a week, that you do that, and every now and again we do miss a Sunday. Where is your understanding of God based on then? It's got to be on your own walk with God, in the Word, established in the Word, that you can see who God is, that your respect, your adoration, your worship will come from what you see Scripture teaches us. And not just what some other clever guy on the internet or here on front on a Sunday tells you, we are so dependent upon God to help us all. But as as preachers, we need to be in submission to Him and say, God, please, I have this incredible privilege, incredible honor to stand in front of people, but I can only give them this much of who you are because I'm human. And your respect, my friend, and your adoration and your honor of God cannot be dependent upon what I give you, but what you find for yourself as you dig deeper into God and into His Word. Please, it's your responsibility, okay? Praise God for these opportunities, but there's more that we need to go into, and I want to take you as we have been going through this book of Nehemiah. Please, If you're going to page in your Bible, if you're going to flick on your phone, and you're going to go on your tablet, please go with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. As we share on honoring God this morning, my prayer is that you will see some things from the lifestyles of these men and women in the city of Jerusalem, That'll help you and I understand that I need to honor God, but actually, what I what I really need, I need to know God, because they saw something in God that made them act in a certain way. And so, just before we start with verse one of chapter eight, we read the last verse of chapter seven. And by the way, if you never knew this, but verses were not part of the original idea of how the Bible is put together. All right. So so often we we kind of put. Um, Bible stories into these chapters and we forget about the previous sections that come. Verses and chapters were added later on so that we can help one another to actually kind of say, "Won't you turn to such and such a portion in the Bible? And we're like, okay, that helps if I now have broken pieces, sections in the Bible. So in verse 73 of chapter 7, it says the following. You all there? All right. It says, so the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers... Some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel, it's kind of like nobody is excluded. They lived in their towns. The people in Jerusalem and the outlying um, towns, they were there. And when the seventh month had come, say with me, seventh month. Seventh month had come, all right? The people of Israel were in their towns. And then verse 1 starts with this. It says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square. Before the water gate. Now, when the seventh month came, and we'll read later on, and it talks about the first day of the seventh month, it really is an annual Jewish feast that arrived. And the people were aware of the fact that this feast, called the Feast of the Trumpets, is now due. And although they were in the outskirts and in various other towns, and not just in Jerusalem, they realized that this was a time for us to celebrate and to come together. And we're not going to go into the detail of what the Feast of Trump is all about, but it was a time really of repentance okay, for the nation. And you can go and read in Leviticus 23, it refers to this particular feast. It was part of the philosophy, it was part of the lifestyle and the thinking to express their devotion to God. So now the, temp- the temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem, the wall has been rebuilt in Jerusalem, and the people understand that our dedication, our devotion to God still needs to carry on. We've been through a time where it's been quite chaotic. We've kind of lost a little bit of a focus. Things have kind of got together again. And now the time arrives where we need to gather as one man to worship the Lord. And see what it says in verse 1. They gathered, and it says they told Ezra. Now, Ezra is a priest or a scribe. That before Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, he came a couple of years before him. So now Ezra arrives on the scene. We've had Nehemiah predominantly throughout the few chapters up to now. And it says, And they, say with me, they who are they? Anyone? The Israelites. Correct. So they told Ezra. So Ezra is a leader. Alright? He's he's a priest. And and it says, they told Ezra, the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So the people are asking and actually telling the leaders, this is what we want to do. There's something in their hearts that recognize, this is a time of the Feast of the Trumpets, and we're not going to actually wait. Maybe Israel would have called them together. We don't know. But the point is this, there was something in their hearts that wanted to honor God, that at that point in time, they called the leader to say, we want to honor God. Come on, bring the book of the law. But this is the point. There was something intrinsically in them that said, hey, we want to honor God. I love that. Kind of like we, we, we have... Incredible leadership principles that we've been taught over the years that it says, unless there's a leader, nothing works, and everything hinges on leadership, and and we need leaders, we need to raise up leaders, we, we need to work through leaders. But how's this? The people come. And before the leader can even say, let's get together, the people come and say, we want the Word of God to be read. How amazing is that? Kind of like the, the shepherd is saying, man, these people are so keen in serving God. It's just incredible. My job is so much easier when the people aren't begged and almost forced and, and almost for, you know forced into a let's have a moment about the things of God. The people do it. And so you know where I'm going. Uh-huh. <laughs> We all have a devotion to God that should be unlocked, not by just leaders and people inspiring us towards it, but by your decision that you make in your own heart, your own initiative that you take to run hard after God, and not to blame, well, the leaders didn't do it, so I'm not going to do it, or our leaders are living in such a way, let's No, it's your call, my call. I cannot live with an excuse that says, my leader didn't or my leader did, therefore I did or did not. There's a devotion to God that each one of us need to live with that is is not dependent upon what others do. But it's something that I live with and I'm passionate about. It's a brilliant scripture that they gathered out of their own. And then the third thing we see here, as they gathered, it says, reading on, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. That's the first day of this feast that now approached. And in verse 3 it says, And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. (laughs) All right, you know where this is going. I ain't going to stop this preach this morning. Because it says from early morning till midday. Let's be rough about it and say maybe about six hours. Estimate the time that Ezra came at the people's request and approached them with what they wanted and gave them what they were insisting on. And it took them six hours at least to read this. (laughs) <laughs> there goes your lunch, eh? <laughs> Amazing. Just another aspect that we need to grab hold of about an honoring attitude towards God. Come on, I mean, I'm under pressure. I got to watch my time, yeah? Because that's just how we try to do it. But how do, we, how do we establish a lifestyle of honor towards God if the things of God are always jammed into short spaces of time? Don't worry, I'm not going to preach until ever, forever today. I'm just trying to challenge us about the concept of my view of God determines my respect for God and my respect for His Word. If my view of God is limited, friends, then the time that I spend in His Word is limited if there's an absolute dedication to Him that says, I cannot live without Him, then my dependence upon Him and the, and the value that I get from His Word is influenced by my perspective of Him. For sure. And we see people here being willing to stand for six hours. They stood. You see it just now. No one forced them to be attentive. It said, from early morning until midday, And the ears of all the people were attentive, it says to the book of the law. Hey, listen, we've got our kids to get to, and we've got this thing to sort out, and and all these things, and now there's, hey, God's word is being read. There's an honor towards God that I want to establish in my life. I'm going to live by that. We need, we read further on, it says, verse 4, and Ezra, the scribe, stood on a, wooden plate, on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matatiah, Shema, Anah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Malkahai, whatever, Mashum, Hajbadana, Zechariah, and Mushulam on his left hand. It's amazing that the moment when, when Ezra stood up, He had all these people with him. He had seven on the one side. He had six on the other. Is it possible that the weightiness of the Word and the importance of the Word was why they had so many people up there in the front? And that the honor that we extend towards God was something that other people also Wanted to establish in that moment, because those are other priests and Levites with him. Those are the people that's supposed to, to teach the people the word. Was it that they all came and said, The people want to honor God? We too want to honor God. Want to create a moment where together collectively we all say, God, you're good, you're great, and we all stand in unison and we agree together that this is the right way we want to live. And how? and What a challenge would that not be for us as people of God and say, God, collectively, we all stand together. And we have different backgrounds. We have different understandings of the Scripture, but we have one heart. We say, God, we want to collectively live for your honor. And whatever it is that you ask of us, collectively, we want to say yes, because individually, I'm ready to do it. Why do we suddenly have names that appear? God would say, hey, it's a corporate thing, but it's also an individual thing. Where each one of us, by name, are called upon to honor God. Elsewhere we see men and women stood, now we see names individual names. Now, would you be prepared that your name be added to that list? to say, I'll stand. And it's not just the moment that I stand for, how oh, I saw, and we took a picture, of I stood that day, and praise the Lord, my name was taken. But Jesus often would challenge people with, your hearts are there, but your lips are over here. You say one thing, you stand for the picture, take it no more, this side, left side, whatever, but my heart is somewhere else. Because I say one thing that I'll honor you, I was part of the list, but I live a different life. Honoring God is not something that we do just in front of people to say, I did it. Honoring God is something we do even when nobody else watches. It's a lifestyle we live. We see that as the story carries on in verse 6 or verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for He was above all the people as He now stood on this platform. And as He opened it, all the people stood. And I love that. The people stood. He didn't say, hey, stand. There was a recognition. This is God's Word. But it wasn't the physical thing that made them stand. It was who it spoke about. It who it was pointed towards. And it was God. And as God's Word was read... People are like, hey, hey, this is about God. I've got to recognize that He is God and I'm not. And my life is absolutely dependent upon Him. And I want to live in absolute humility and surrender before Him. And so I stand. And so I stand. And I love just how it carries on into and, and a different posture. Let's look at the next one if we carry on. It says in verse 6, Now, Ezra blessed the the Lord, great God, and, and all the people answered, Amen, and Amen. What does that mean? They were in agreement that Ezra was saying, God, you're great, and we bless you, and there's no one like you, and the people go, Amen, Amen, that's true. That's sure. That's what Amen means. It's not just, okay, that's the end of the prayer, amen, okay, keep quiet now, or whatever, let's jump around, we can now. No, it's amen means I agree with what you've said. So when we have people say amen during a preach, it's lovely, because you're in agreement not with what we say, but what the Word of God teaches us. And so here they find that that the people are in agreement because there's a corporate recognition of the honor that's due to God. They say, Amen. Amen. And look at what they do. Part of honoring God says that they lifted their hands. What does lifting of our hands mean? Surrender. God, here's my life. I give it unto you. They lifted their hands. There was no music. There's no you know, playing around with wonderful background music to kind of con people into this. It's like the Word of God's read. The people stand to their feet after they insisted that the Word of God be read. And they said, This is about God. And wow, wow, God. And as the Word of God is read, it says they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, now there's something more that's added. And this is not a formula, okay? This is not every time we gather. This is the procedure that we've got to go through. Because if the heart is not there, any, and all of this stuff means nothing. We can lift our hands. We can, we can bow our heads. We can stand. But in our hearts, if there's, a, if there's a resistance and a rejection and not a recognition of who God is, none of that has any value. None. And that's what religion has unfortunately taught us. That if we can do stuff in front of people, we can perhaps impress people and maybe impress God with with our religious chores and and our and our activities. But if the heart's not there, Jesus says I'll this is crazy this, but Jesus says I'll spit you out. Because you're like a lukewarm one. You're not either hot nor cold. I'll just spit you out because your heart's not after me. So don't come with all your religious stuff. Just come with a heart. It says, I want to honor this king. No matter what it is that, I, that I, in that moment I need to do. I mean, we've seen it when, when a royal person in this world that we see and live comes by what people ought to do. And it's a bowing of this and a bowing of that because they recognize royalty on them or authority, whatever it is. But what about God? How do we recognize Him? How do we revere Him? How do we respect Him? Because your respect of God is determined of your perspective of who God is. And it seems like the Israelites at this time understood something of God. And they bowed down. Amazing that God knew Value and the impact that bowing down to something has. Because in Exodus 20 verse 5, part of the law, he says, you shall not bow down to any other God but to me. And bowing down to something or to someone indicates your huge admiration, your huge respect for that. And I believe that the absence of bowing to God or honoring Him, let's listen to this that the absence of bowing to God or honoring God can lead us to the bowing down or honoring something else because intrinsically, again, we are made to worship. You and I are created to worship. If we don't worship God, if we don't bow down to Him, we're going to bow down to something else. That's the reality. And people say, well, you know what? I'm not really into this Christian stuff, but I'm not really into other stuff either. Well, you can't be. It's not a gray area. It's either we worship God, or we worship something else, or someone else. Man was made to worship, and if it isn't God, the only real God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who gave us His Son, if we don't worship Him, there will be something else that we bow down to. And there will be something else that we have respect for more than God. And we've got to challenge one another about those things, as believers even, and say, how is your worship to God this morning? How do you bow down to God, the only God that there is? And are there areas in your life where you are bowing down to some other God? And is that God taking up more of the adoration and the respect that you ought to give to God? whatever we are bowing down to will have the greatest influence in our lives. It is that thing that determines how our lives are lived. Whatever you and I are bowing down to, and I pray that it is God, the only God, but if it's any other God or any other thing that's more important than God, that thing will have the greatest influence in your life because you respect that most than anything else the loudest voice in your life will get the greatest response from you. Whatever you're listening to most, not just listening as in music, but listening, adhering to, uh, um, acknowledging in your life, and giving time and space for in your life, whatever has the loudest voice in your life is the thing that will have the greatest impact in your life, and you will give the greatest response to if it's God, praise the Lord, keep on letting that become louder and louder. The Word of God, for instance. There's an incredible scripture that I, that I came upon just in my devotions this last week that I want to share with you from Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19. And um, there's a lot more in this verse, but just the latter part of it says, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Some translations will put it this way. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Or a person is a slave to whatever he gives into. In other words, whatever has strongest influence in your life is a thing that controls you. May it be God, but if it is disappointment if you've given in to disappointment and that you will never succeed and you just accept that about yourself, that's the thing that has overcome you and you are enslaved to that, my friend. And you give recognition to that more than anything else. If, if your program and your busy lifestyle and all of these things that we are involved in and everything that we have to do so in, uh, overcomes us that I don't have time for anything else. That's the thing that we ultimately could be enslaved to. Come on. Whatever takes all of our time, all of our devotion, all of our attention, could possibly be the thing that we recognize the most in our lives. And God says, I want you to recognize me. Just as we see here, the Israelites do. Did. Who you are, who you are serving at the moment in your life, at this very moment, is that which has greatest influence over you. So our respect for God, if He has limited influence in our lives, if we are not overcome with His love and His incredible grace towards us, if He is not the one that has most say in our lives, then we'll have little reverence and honor that we bestow towards Him. Come on if it is something else we will give more time and respect for that amazing that it carries on we see more names now in verses 7 Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah Yamin, Akub Shabbatai, Hodiah Messiah, Kelita Azariah, Josabad Hanan, Paliah the Levites help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places Look at that word, remained. They've been together. They've listened to the word. They've stood. They bowed their heads. They lifted their hands. They've been hearing this word read. Much of it they didn't understand, as many of us don't, because we've got to go back to it. But here we have Levites that are amongst them, doing what? Helping them to understand what they've just heard and been listening to and the people remain to say, I need a better understanding. I don't know what was read. I don't understand it. And therefore I just throw it away. No, I remain in it because I need to grow into it more. And I cannot just say, well, I don't understand the Bible. It is too difficult for me. It doesn't make sense. How many of us have not said that? And we probably will keep on saying that. It's not wrong to say it, but it's wrong to stay there. Don't just camp at the place that you say, I don't understand this. Here we have people, out of their respect and honor for God, they said, i got to know more about this God. I don't understand fully what was read. But hey, come on. Kalita, A bunny? A yaman? Come on, guys. Come help me. I don't understand. I don't know what it was actually even referring to. I don't have a clue. But would you help me? Talks about communities working together. Talks about the simplicity of us discipling one another and getting together and sharing life and sharing from scripture and making it real. Because yeah, it doesn't always make sense, but it can. So it's not a mystery that we'll not understand ever. And why is it that we not rely on the Holy Spirit that says, I've come to guide you into the truth and help you understand it better? Again, we don't have an excuse. And, and that's why if we remain in this, our understanding and our perspective and our viewpoint of God will increase so that the respect due to Him will grow. Ultimately. We have a responsibility to grow in these things. So what I want to ask you is your current view of God. Because that will determine how you honor or dishonor Him. Your current view of God, your viewpoint, your opinion, will enable you to either have respect Perhaps little respect. I trust that it won't be disrespect. But that our lifestyles will be based from God, your God, and I want to honor you. And I want to live a life that is completely devoted to you. We have beautiful examples in the Bible where men and women lived with that kind of an attitude. We, we've been paging through some of it here yeah, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. We have Plenty of examples among you of how people are living incredible, honorable life towards God. Just saying, Jesus, my life is not my own. I'm going to live for you. The way that they, how people give of themselves, where they, how they would not, in the face of onslaught, give in to sin and temptation and say, by my God's grace, I will stand against this. Like David said to Goliath, You defile this. God of mine. I will not allow that to happen because my honor and my respect of God is going to cause me to take you out, Goliath. I will not allow you to do that. And Please don't go do that in the streets this week. But this is the kind of lifestyle that God calls us to. Say, God, I respect you. I honor you. I want to dedicate my life to you. Nothing is too big when asked to give. Nothing. An amazing friend he lives out at um, Nkai. He's a pastor that I met years ago. And he's just an amazing guy. He, and he, I know a little bit about the financial situations out in the rural area. I've been to many of their homes. But he's decided to, to send me eco-cash to the value of $13 every so often. It's because he wants to give and support what Sumin and I do. Oh God, Jesus, it humbles me. It humbles me incredibly. Something in his heart that said, I want to honor God this way by giving this to someone. So every now and again I get this message. $13 was, was deposited into my, transferred into my EcoCash Kesh account. Oh Jesus, this is so humbling. That's so amazing. As a man in a very simple way. Before we, we left from, from the Czech Republic a couple of weeks ago, um, Janku and I and our trip there, the one place that we were about to leave early on that Saturday morning, um, we were about to go to our car and, and we heard that this one of the elders from the church wanted to quickly see us before we, we could leave and he came around rushing in there with his van and, and his four children and all of them small and, and obviously we had to make an effort to get them all out on a Saturday morning and, and he arrived there and he, he just wanted to say goodbye and he gave me this envelope and he said, please, please take it to somebody in Zimbabwe. This is something I want to give. I'm like, oh, it's incredible. You know how people out of a, a sincere respect of God would go beyond themselves to sow into other people's lives. And I love that. And I want to encourage us as a church to live this way. That we will get to know God more. Not get to know more about God only, but get to know God more. That as we get to know Him more, our respect for Him will grow. And that whatever He asks of us, will say, Jesus, I don't care what it is, because you are more important than my will. I prefer your ways than my own so that you will be honored, God, above all. And that whatever it is, Lord God, that I need to do and and sow into other people's lives and and make available and and change attitude about how I should live and, and treat others differently because you expect this of me, I'll be prepared to do it because you are God and you can ask me anything. And I'm willing to live this way. I want to ask you, King City Church, let's live honoring God with an absolute, sincere desire in our hearts that He is priority in our lives and that nothing that He asks of us is too much. As we prepare ourselves for communion right now, maybe the musos can come to the front, I want to ask you that this morning as we stand around that table, and we break of the bread which speaks of the body of Christ that was broken for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and, and, our, and, our, and our brokenness in our lives could be made whole again and, and that sins could be forgiven. As we drink of that cup, we recognize that this is what Jesus has done. There's nothing special in those elements. It just speaks about what Jesus had done for us. But that we would prepare our hearts before we go. And that at you this morning, friend, I'm being very serious, Because Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11. He says, if you break bread, and you do it in a dishonorable way, he says, why don't you just check your hearts first? Make sure that there's nothing in your hearts that's dishonoring towards God and dishonoring towards one another. And that unless you feel at liberty about your heart and where you are and that God I'm not perfect but I I don't live in a willful sin towards you I'm not rejecting you I'm not disobeying you and I'm not being harmful towards somebody else I can come and I can partake of this this is open for anybody we don't limit it to people from King City Church we just say you've got to have a relationship with Jesus understanding what he has done for you but on top of that the Bible says check your heart just check your heart because this is a moment for us to, to put into practice what we've just been speaking about that we want to honor God and if you feel that there's something in your heart that, that keeps you from coming up and saying Jesus has forgiven me for my sins and he's, he's helped me to become whole again but I'm actually walking around with sin in my life and I'm not allowing him to break my heart and to repent of it. How can I partake of that? I'm a hypocrite, the Bible would say. And so I'm coming across a bit strong this morning. But I understand that there's a value that we need to live by and that is respecting God above our own preferences, our own feelings, and above our own sins. So God, this morning, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you help us not to play the fool with you. That God, you've called us to stand. Not a physical thing, first of all, but a stance we take that says, I want to live for my king. And I don't care what people would say, but I'm going to stand for him. I'm going to honor him with a lifestyle that matches the words that I express. And I stand to honor you. I stand. No matter whether, even as Job, through that song that we sang earlier on, stood and said, I don't, I've i lost so much, but I will not give up praising my King. I stand. I stand. This morning, Father, as we prepare our hearts to in a sense also stand by taking Part of the communion and saying, I recognize that that my sins have been forgiven through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And that as I break this bread, I recognize that his body was broken for me so that I could be whole again. I thank you that I can stand before you, not perfect, but forgiven. And even right now, Father, if there are people in this meeting that recognize that there are things in their lives that they've been harboring, that they've not dealt with, that's just sin that's been been allowed to have, just allowed to just be part of their lives and our lives, Father. If there's anything in our lives, Father, that we realize this morning, right now, that we need to confess to you, I pray that we'll do that. And say, Jesus, please forgive me. I've been walking around this thing for too long. I repent of it. And if I need to go from here after this meeting and I need to go make right with people, I'll be prepared to do that. But Lord, help us not to partake of the the bread and the cup with a falseness in our hearts that's not prepared to say, I honor you. So this morning, Father, I pray right now as we as we break bread together And celebrate what Jesus has done for us. That there will be an honor to you, little flow. Just an honoring of God. An honoring of God. An honoring of you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. We bow our heads before you. We say, Jesus, you are King. You are King. Lord, we want to echo what Paul writes in Philippians. It says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. We respect you as our King. We honor you as our King. As we partake now of the elements, Lord God, I pray that you will see our hearts as we thank you for what you've done for us and honor you for the greatest sacrifice ever. Jesus, we love you.